It's good to be here. I want you to know God's already answering prayers. You know, when Jim told me I was preaching tonight and that they were, they were going to provide special music, I thought it might have been Jim. But uh, hallelujah. <laughs> it is well with my soul. <laughs> Amen. A lot has happened in my life in the very brief time since I've been here before. My wife and I have surrendered to the hustle and the bustle and the constant increase and crash and disaster and gridlock traffic of the city of James Island. We have sold our house and we have moved to the country. We have moved out past the tomato fields and the Charleston tea plantation on Wadmala Island. And we are in the country. I'm going to tell you how country it is. For the first time in our lives... We do not have access to city water. We have a well. you got to understand, some of you old-timers that remember the TV show Green Acres, that's us. And I can assure you, that's my wife. We never realized that water could naturally occur yellow. And even sometimes brown. Yeah. Kim is quite a shock to us, but it was interesting. We have adjusted. One of the other things we discovered when we got out there, very, very little cell phone coverage. I know the teens are like, why would y'all do that? <laughs> yeah, it was so funny. The other day I came home and my wife was like in one of the rooms in the corner against the wall like this. And I was like, Wendy, what are you doing? She goes, I got a bar. I got a bar. <laughs> trying to answer a text message. Don't, don't move. So it is interesting. Of course, living in the country, I found out real quick that you have to have a garden. And here I was, I was all fired up about breaking the ground and by the sweat of the brow, I was going to sow some seeds and we're going to grow our own vegetables, nice fresh vegetables. So I got me a tiller and I began to break up the ground and then I raked it out and then I ran the tiller again and I raked it out again and then I went and got some topsoil and some manure and I mixed it all in there and tilled it up again and raked it out and I got it all prepared and I began to sow my seeds and I got them in a straight line and I planted corn and beans and Brussels sprouts. I love Brussels sprouts. I had them all planted and I was so excited. One of my neighbors came over and he said, now Sean, you know, living out here with a garden, you have to build a fence around it. And I was like, well, why? He said, the deer will eat it. And I was like, okay. So I went to Lowe's and I bought all the things to build this fence. And I built the most beautiful fence. Sam, you'd be impressed. Around this guy was just really pretty. And I had it all set up. And I did what most farmers did. And I know it seems kind of ridiculous for such a small garden. But as soon as I got everything done, got the fence set, I prayed. And I asked Lord to bless my work. Bless the harvest, may it be abundant. And I'm telling you, just about on cue, it started to rain. And I was like, ain't nothing to this. And it rained. And it rained. And it rained. And for three straight days, it rained. And I'm telling you, water washed over my garden. Over my garden. Over my garden. And I could sit there watching it out the back window like, my garden. I told my wife, six weeks from now, there's going to be corn growing in the ditch on the side of Maybank Highway. <laughs> it's going to be like a drive through vegetable market. People just... <laughs> so now I've got this fenced-in area of mud. 
So we're thinking about chickens. <laughs> but either way, it's so good to be here with you. You know, I always feel at home here. Y'all are such a blessing to be with and to worship with. You know, I was telling Jim, he was sharing, you know, what a gift it was to have the different pastors coming for your summer series and sharing their hearts and their messages. But what you don't realize is for us as pastors, it's a gift to be in a church that worships. And to know before I get here, there are people who are prayed up, and more importantly, that God is in the house. And God is in the house. Keep me safe till the storm passes over. And you know what, folks? Storm is quickly passing over. The day is coming very soon when our Jesus is coming to take us home. Amen? Well, in the meantime, I'm going to talk to you a little bit tonight about a giant of the Old Testament. And I have the privilege of speaking to you on David. Now, it's not going to be your typical David and Goliath sermon. It's a little different. Lord led, led me in a different direction. But I would like to invite you to go with me to the book of 2 Samuel. 2 Samuel chapter 24. And I'm going to begin reading at verse 10. 2 Samuel chapter 24, beginning at verse 10. This is what the Word of God says to you and I tonight. It says this, David, King David, was conscience-stricken. After he had counted the finding men, he said to the Lord, I have sinned greatly in what I have done. Now, O Lord, I beg you, take away the guilt of your servant. I have done a very foolish thing. Before David got up the next morning, the word of the Lord had come to Gad, the prophet, David's seer. He said, go and tell David, this is what the Lord says. I am giving you three options. Choose one of them for me to carry out against you. So Gad went to David and said to him, Shall there come upon you three years of famine in your land, or three months of fleeing from your enemies while they pursue you, or three days of plague in your land? Now then, you think it over and decide how I should answer the one who sent me. David said to Gad, I am in deep distress. In other words, he said, I am in agony. Let us fall into the hands of the Lord, for His mercy is great. But do not let me fall into the hands of men. So the Lord sent a plague on Israel from that morning until the end of the time designated. And 70,000 of the people from Dan to Beersheba died. When the angel, when the angel stretched out his hand to destroy Jerusalem, the Lord was grieved because of the calamity and said to the angel who was afflicting the people, Enough! Withdraw your hand. The angel of the Lord was then at the threshing floor of Arana the Jebusite. When David saw the angel who was striking down the people, he said to the Lord, I am the one who has sinned and done wrong. These are but sheep. What have they done? Let your hand fall upon me and my family. Pray with me. Father, I praise you tonight. I praise you tonight because you are a God who is merciful. I praise you tonight, Lord, because we who are sinners 
and who have all fallen short of your glory can come into this your house on this your day during this your time and come boldly to your throne because of your son Jesus. So it is now, Lord, once again, as I hide myself behind the cross, I ask you, Lord, through the power of your Holy Spirit, speak through your humble servant the words that you have prepared for these, your people. Truly, Lord, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. King David, the Bible describes as a man after God's own heart. Now, I believe it's very possible that David's heart was developed very early on. Maybe as a young boy tending his father's sheep, I can imagine he spent many lonely, dark nights on the hillside with the sheep. I can imagine he probably engaged in a lot of deep conversation with his heavenly father. I believe the relationship was built early on. But I also believe that David was a man after God's own heart because David suffered. Do you know that God suffers? Did you know that? David suffered because of the sin that he committed. God suffers because of the sin that we commit. Did you know that? He's a good daddy. And it grieves him when we sin. But he sent us a cure. And I thank God for the cure. David discovered that cure. The title of this sermon tonight is The Cure. Many of you know David's sin. David was the king of Israel. He could have anything he want, anytime he wanted it. And on this particular occasion, he wanted Bathsheba. He saw her bathing from his palace rooftop. He summoned and had her brought to the palace. She was the wife of Uriah, one of David's fighting men. He engaged in an adulterous affair with Bathsheba. The result of that affair was she became pregnant. David, in an attempt to cover it up, he had her husband Uriah murdered. Terrible situation. David sinned. And I want you to know, from that point on, David's reign was never the same. David's life was never the same. David's family was never the same. The child that he had conceived with Bathsheba would die. David's first son, Amnon, began to lust after his half-sister Tamar, David's daughter, to another wife. He tricked her into coming into his room and he raped her. He raped his sister. Then Absalom, who was Tamar's full brother, Amnon's half-brother, David's third son, found out about the rape and in revenge he murdered his brother Amnon. Absalom would go on and would eventually turn on his father, form a rebellion, Against his dad and his reign, he would eventually take his army and drive David and his men out of the city. Later, in a battle between David's men and Absalom's men, David's men chased Absalom through a thicket. The Bible says he became caught up with his long flowing hair. David's men cut his head off. You think your family has trouble? David was a great king, but he was a terrible dad. 
David understood, he discovered very quickly that there are consequences to sin. God is faithful to forgive us of our sins, but there are consequences, and those consequences are lasting. Oftentimes, we can't remember why the consequences occur, but God never forgets. But thankfully, there's a cure. Now go back with me to 2 Samuel 24, and let's put, pick up our text again at verse 18. Listen to what God's Word says here, beginning at verse 18. said that on that day, Gad went to David and said to him, Go up and build an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Arana the Jebusite. So David went up, as the Lord had commanded through Gad. When Arana looked and saw the king and his men coming towards him, he went out and bowed down before the king with his face to the ground. Arana said, Why has my lord the king come to his servant to buy your threshing floor, David answered, so I can build an altar to the Lord that the plague on the people may be stopped. Arana said to the king, Let my lord the king take whatever pleases him and offer it up. Here are, offering for the, here are oxen for the burnt offerings. Here are threshing sledges and ox yokes for wood. O king, Arana gives all this to the king. Arana also said to him, May the Lord your God accept you. But King David replied to Arana, No, I insist on paying you for it. I will not sacrifice to the Lord my God burnt offerings that cost me nothing. Let me say that again. He said, I will not sacrifice to the Lord my God burnt offerings that cost me nothing. So David bought the threshing floor and the oxen, and he paid 50 shekels, which was about a pound and a quarter of silver. David built an altar to the Lord there, and he sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings. Then the Lord answered prayer in behalf of the land, and the plague on Israel was stopped. I want you to know something tonight. The Bible makes it very clear. There is only one answer for sin. And I mean only one answer for sin, and that is an altar. You need to understand in David's day, the altar was a type of or a picture of the cross. Arana the Jebusite, the Bible says, as many in that day, was condemned to die under the plague that God had placed upon the people. The Bible says he was a heathen, and yet his life was spared because the sacrifice that was made by his king. David insisted on paying a price for that altar, just as our king insisted on paying a price for our altar. Listen to me. I need you to understand something tonight. Oftentimes this is distorted in many of our churches and much of our watered-down theology. Know this. God will not accept anything from us that doesn't cost us something. The offerings and the gifts that we bring to God must cost us something. Or else God will not accept him. Salvation is free. Know that. But I can assure you the cost of following Jesus Christ, especially today, is not free. It is expensive. It will require a cost. Following Jesus requires a cost. We can never draw near to God without a sacrifice that costs us. Now, listen to me. 
because of the offering that David had built and the altar that David had built on behalf of his people, God would stop this plague. David, unlike our king, sinned. There had to be an atonement for that sin. There had to be a sacrifice and it was made. I need you to know something tonight and I know I'm not giving you a news flash. Sin is destroying our country. It's accepted. It's celebrated. It's paraded. God is mocked with it. It's a society we live in. But understand this, God will not be mocked. It's destroying our homes. Parents, we're letting stuff in our homes that God says is sin. We're permitting it to come in. We let it come in through the TV. We let it come in through the computers. We let it come in through the radios. We let it come in through the cell phones. We're letting this sin in. And understand this, we may not see the consequences immediately, but they're coming. God is perfect. Do you know that one thing God can't do? He can't change. You know why God can't change? You can't change when you're perfect. Everything about God is perfect, so you can't change perfection. God's Word is perfect. The promises He makes are perfect. The laws that He gives us are perfect because He loves us. He wants the best for us. But understand this. This sin, this epidemic, this plague is killing our homes. It's destroying our marriages. Marriages are falling by the wayside every minute of the day because we permit sin into our lives. We permit sin into our relationships. It may seem harmless. It may be accepted by the whole world. But nonetheless, it is sin and it has deadly consequences. Sin is destroying our families. Marriages are breaking up. Families are being devastated by it. Children are being devastated by it. They're confused. They don't know right from wrong. They don't know who loves them and who does love them. Who cares about them and who does care about them. It's confusing for them. Because we choose not to do it God's way. And listen to me. This sin that we're talking about, it's destroying our churches. You understand that every day in this country, hundreds upon hundreds of churches are selling the property and closing the doors. Because we let sin in. And there's deadly consequences. Churches are dying. Your pastor and I talked earlier. Many, many wise reports state that 20 years from now, the church may be extinct. That's a scary thought, isn't it? Young people, we're going to manage. You're going to have your hands full. If you don't step up, put your hands on the oars, and you paddle this boat, the church is going down. That's why it's so necessary, so essential for you to be here. You're the next wave for us. You're the soldiers that will come behind us. But this plague has got to be stopped. God's Word makes it clear that there is only one cure for this plague, and it's a sacrifice, an altar, the cross. It's the only cure. The only cure. We live in a society where there are so many different options 
that are being taught and preached and explored. Options to God. It's a lie. They're being deceived. And they're going down this path of destruction. The plague is eating them alive. And they don't even know it. Cross is the answer, the precious atoning offering of blood that Jesus freely gave for you and for me. He was our King. He is our King. And He did this because we are sinful. You understand? We are sinful. We are unpure. We are born of an unpure seed. We're unclean. So we had to have an altar. There had to be a sacrifice. Jesus did that for us. And I can assure you, it cost Him everything. Everything. The blood sacrifice covers those who accept Him, who commit to follow Him, who ask Him into their hearts, who turn from their sins, and they love Him. And they're willing to give Him anything and everything that He asked of them. Hear me tonight. All the churches in the world can't stop the plague. All the preachers in the world can't stop the plague. I want you to know that all the religions on earth, all the prayers on earth, all the good works on earth can't stop the plague. All the prestige, education, and money in the world cannot stop the plague of sin. The wages of sin is death. And not just temporary death. Eternal death in a devil's hell. Only an altar. Only the cross of Jesus Christ can stop the plague of sin. The cure for our disease is the cross of Jesus Christ. It all begins and ends at a cross on a hill called Mount Calvary. 2,000 years ago when the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords left heaven and all that was perfect and all that was everything to Him. And He came down here and became one of us and made the perfect sacrifice for you and I. Listen, without Jesus, without the cross, we're not here tonight. This building doesn't exist. This moment doesn't take place. But God knew before the foundation of the earth was laid that you and I would need this day, need this place, need this moment, need this time. He knew that then. I get irritated oftentimes when I hear people, and even sometimes from the pulpit, make the comment that everything is going just the way God wants it to. That's a lie. Nothing's going the way God wants it to. Sure, everything's going the way God said it would, but nothing is going the way God wants it to. It's a lie. I believe as a nation, God has given us over to our sin. Paul, in the book of Romans, talks about the wrath of God being God giving His people over to His sin. God has given us as a nation over to our sin. You want your sin? I'm giving you over to it. Look how far we've come. Our nation's going down the toilet. Because we chose our way. But praise be to God. Praise be to God. That although He has given us over to our sin, He hasn't given us up. You know why? Because there are still those who would stand and bow and knee in the trenches and pray for those who don't. Churches like Miles Road exist 
to lift up churches like New Beginnings Community Church and churches like Wasmosaw Baptist Church. They're here to help lift us up. We're in this together. We can't do it alone. We have each other. We're the army of the Lord. We don't fight with swords and guns. We fight on our knees. That's what we do. God promises, promises that He'll be there for us. David's life is a demonstration for us that through repentance, absolute sorrow and sacrifice over our sinfulness, that God will stay as punishment. It's a promise that we have. It was God who built this nation. And I believe that with all my heart. And it's God who could rebuild it if He chooses to. Understand this. The promises that God made in Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14 says that if my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and do what? Pray. And listen to this. And seek my face. You know, so many Christians today, they seek God's hand. At some point, we got to quit seeking the handouts and we got to start seeking God's face. But if my people will pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked, sinful ways, then I will heal from heaven and forgive their sin and I will heal the United States of America. But until we do that, the plague still hangs over our heads. I love what John writes in 1 John chapter 1, beginning at verse 8. He says this, If we... If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Fact of the matter is, we're all with sin. But if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just and will forgive us of our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. You want to be purified? God says, come to the altar. Come to the cross. You want your hope renewed? You want peace in your life and your heart and your home? Come to the altar. Come to the cross. Then and only then will the blood cure us, save us from the plague. I heard a song a little while back. I'm not a huge country music song, but I love music. I heard a song that was recently released by Reba McIntyre, and the words caught my ear. And I delved into them a little bit, and I want to share them with you tonight because I think they're very relevant to what I'm sharing through this message of the Lord. title of the song is Back to God. This is what the words say. Oh, have you looked around? Have you heard the sound of mama's crying? Or do you turn away when you see the face of the innocent dying? In these darkest days, are you not afraid that it's too late? you got to get out on your knees, believe, fold your hands, beg and plead. you got to keep on praying you got to cry, rain, tears of pain, pound the floor, scream His name, because we're worth saving. Can't go on like this, live like this. We can't love like this. we got to give this world back to God. Have you lost the love? Do you feel like giving up? Has your heart been broken? Are your kids okay? Will they come on safe? Do you lie in bed hoping? You can make a wish. You can knock on wood. Oh, it won't do no good. You gotta get down on your knees, you gotta believe, fold your hands, beg and plead. You gotta keep on praying. You gotta cry, rain, tears of pain, pound the floor, scream his name, because we're still worth saving. 
Can't go on like this. Live like this. Love like this. We got to give this world back to God. You got to get out on your knees. Believe. Fold your hands. Beg and plead. Keep on praying. You got to cry. Rain. Tears of pain. Pound the floor. Scream His name. Because we're still worth saving. Can't go on like this. Live like this. We can't love like this. You can hope for the best, make a wish. The only answer is we got to give this world back to God. Oh, give this world back to God. Joshua charged God's people. He says, you can go back to worshiping the idols of your forefathers or you can worship all the idols that are around you every day, everywhere you go. He says, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Choose, choose ye this day whom you're going to serve. And I can assure you, you make a choice every day. A lot of people say, well, Pastor, do you ever get discouraged when people don't make a decision after your sermon? I said, no, because every sermon, everybody makes a decision. Everybody makes a decision. I love what God's Word teaches us about this sacrifice. It must cost us something or it's not an acceptable sacrifice. We must make choices. God requires a sacrifice from us. Sometime for many Christians, going to church is too big of a sacrifice. And heaven forbid you come back on Sunday night. It's a sacrifice. Yeah, there's plenty of other things you could be doing. There's plenty of other places you could be going. Your pastor and I were talking about that earlier. There's movie theaters everywhere. There's parks everywhere. There's beaches. There's rivers. There's lakes. you got television sets. It's got 20,000 channels on it. Every type of movie you want to see. you got everything in the world that you want. But look at me. You made a choice tonight. Come into God's house. God will honor that sacrifice. You bring offerings. You bring tithes. You know that nowhere in the Bible, a lot of people don't know this, nowhere in the Bible does it say, give the tithe or give the offering. Did you know that? Because to use the term give implies that it belongs to you. What the Bible actually says is, bring the offering. Bring the tithe. Because then you're just bringing God what already belongs to Him. And understand this. Your offering should be a sacrifice. If it doesn't hurt, you're probably not giving enough. I praise God. I praise God that we worship and serve a God that gives us this and ask for that. Because He could ask for it all. And yet, as I was sharing with Pastor Jim earlier, a recent report by George Barner stated that in America, in the Christian Church of America, 1.8% of Christians actually tithe. 1.8% of Christians actually tithe. You know, I believe that the offering... You should give with a glad heart. I don't ever think you should bring money and begrudgingly put it in the plate. 
I don't think God wants that. He wants you to bring your gifts with joy in your heart and thanksgiving in your heart. You can't outgive God. I mean, what kind of a merciful God would actually say, listen, if you're not tithing, it's okay, but test me. Put me to the test one time with your tithe and see if I don't throw open the barn doors of heaven and pour more blessings out on you than you know what to do with. But God just say, test me. He could just strike you down. What a God. But our offerings require a sacrifice. Young people, that sacrifice may require us making some decisions about friends. Friends that you don't need to be with. Friends that you don't need to be around. Friends that are leading you into areas and situations you shouldn't be in. It's going to require a sacrifice. And it won't be easy. But you've got to make a choice. Sacrifice. Adults, there's stuff in our lives. We got stuff, don't we? Y'all do this. We got stuff. I want to tell you what kind of stuff we got. Telling you we were moving. I could not believe the stuff we had in our house. I told my wife, we're purging. We are purging. We sized down. We purged. I couldn't believe the stuff that accumulates. Stuff we'd forgotten about. Stuff we didn't realize we had. Stuff that had deteriorated and rotted. Because it's set up where moths and rust could get to it. God says, let me, tell you, let me tell you about real treasure. I got your real treasure stored up in heaven where you can spend it for eternity, not just for a little time, maybe that three score and ten you get on earth. Remember, eternity goes on and 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 the little life we spend here is about like that. And for most of us, we're like on the last part of it. There's a day coming. We're a day closer today to eternity than we were yesterday. Matthew 6.21 says, For where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be. And understand this, you may be able to deceive the whole world, but you can't deceive God because He knows your heart. I love what Jeremiah warns about the heart. He says this in Jeremiah 17. I love his words. When he says this, verse 9 and 10, it says, Beware, because your heart is deceitful above all things. It's beyond cure. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search your heart and I examine your mind. I know your heart. I know your thoughts. I know your motives. And I, re- I reward the man or woman according to their conduct according to what their deeds deserve. What do your deeds deserve tonight, folks? What do your deeds deserve tonight? I want to close with David's words. This wonderful king. King was very human, just like us. You might say, well, at least I never committed adultery. At least I never murdered anybody. Can I tell you what? According to God's Word, yes, you have. Yes, you have. We're all guilty of murder. We're all guilty of adultery. You know why? Because Jesus said, if you broke one of the Ten Commandments, you've broken them all. 
guilty as charged. But I love David's repentance as he said this. Chapter 51, the book of Psalms, he said this. And this should be our plea. This should be our prayer. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my sins, my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me against you. And you only have I sinned and have done what is evil in your sight. And we're all guilty. So that you are proved right when you speak and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Surely you desire truth in the inner parts. You teach me wisdom in the innermost place. Cleanse me. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your, sin, hide your face from my sins. And blot out all my iniquity. Create in me, O God, a pure heart, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence, or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and grant me a willing Holy Spirit to sustain me. We have a cure. Oftentimes when we're sick, the doctor will tell us what's wrong with us, send us a prescription, and we have a choice. We can either take that prescription and get better, or we can just stay sick. Unfortunately for many of us, we love the plague. We enjoy the sin. We're okay with the death. And it is coming. And it's destroying us. The peace that God desires that each and every one of us have, we're missing it. The joy that God wants to fill our lives and our homes and our families with, we're missing it. God wants more than anything to pour His blessings out upon us. We won't let Him. We need a cure. We need an altar. We need the cross.